So, uh, in Isaiah 41, 8 through 10, and in Isaiah 51, 1 through 3, we see that, that the Lord is linking these promises and what God is doing uh, for the restoration of Israel all the way back to Abraham, the Lord's friend, and his covenant promises to Israel and Jacob, his chosen servant, through Abraham. Everybody got that? Well, let's go over to the New Testament and find out if we are in Christ, these promises all apply to us. And Isaiah, and the Lord's word through Isaiah, is going to indicate this. Let me just tell you this, because he's going to say, I'm going to extend this to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles get to come into this too, okay? So let's go over to Galatians in the New Testament. These are writings from the Apostle Paul. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3. Um, let's pick up it actually at verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Okay, so you, you probably could pick this up right from what he just said, right, if you're really paying attention. Are the sons of Abraham necessarily all biological? No. They're going to come in by faith, right? Okay, so let's pick up on Paul's thought here, what God is saying here. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations uh, shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So in other words, Gentiles who believe, who trust in the Lord, are sons of Abraham, children of Abraham. You guys kind of remember this. This is a big theme in the New Testament. Now, let's just flip over in Galatians 3. There's a lot here that would, would, would take a lot um, to dig into. Let, let me just pick up here, though, at um, verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now, the promises were made, verse 16 of Galatians 3, to Abraham and to his seed, his sperma, okay? To his offspring, to his seed. And it does not say, this is, I've taken you to this passage again because this is a crucible passage for Paul and his reading of the covenants, okay? This is a big deal. Paul says, it does not say, into his seed, spermati, plural. Okay, in the Greek, that's, that's what the term would be. He's saying, I'm going to distinguish this. I'm talking about seed, singular. Okay, um, does not say to the seed, plural, or to the offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your singular, sperma, who is Christ. So in other words, what, what Paul is saying here, this is a very strong statement, and this, the, the, we just need to understand this dimension of understanding the New Testament back to when we keep looking back at the, the promises to Abraham. Paul is saying, when God made the central promise to Abraham about his seed, it's not, even though his seed, plural, are going to be more numerous than the stars of the heavens and the sands, you know, and the seashores, ultimately, the key linchpin covenantal promise is to a seed singular who fulfills the covenant, and that's Jesus. That's what Paul is saying here, okay? Now, uh, just looking at, well, how do we come into this? Um, let's just pick up at Galatians 3, verse 27. For as Many of you, as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Now, if you're, again, if, you, if we're paying attention to this larger passage, we've just been told Christ is the fulfillment and the linking of the covenant promises to Abraham. So if we have put on Christ, we have come in to the covenant under him. Okay? So we're not just in the new covenant. 
we're also in the covenant to Abraham, and in fact, those two things are totally linked and interlinked through Jesus, okay? That's, that's what he just said there. Does anybody have, do y'all see what I'm saying? Richard, yes. In, gen, in the covenant in Genesis, doesn't it say that all people will be blessed? Yes, yes, and so, Abraham? yes, and so, and so, Richard, this is, yeah, this is a huge point. So Richard has just asked, and we'll go back to this, because um, it's, it's on our handout for tonight. We looked at this last week. Here's the thing, that on the second half of, of the Genesis 12, 1 through 3, he's supposed to go, God commands Abraham to go. We'll go back and look at this. And he's also supposed to be a blessing. He has two commands, and there are three promises that spin off of each of the two commands. Okay, And on the second half of that, in other words, the second promise that spins off into the next, the, the second round of three things that are going to spin off of this, the fruit of this, Richard, the deal is, Abraham, at best, only batted like maybe like 300 in being a blessing to other people, like the Gentiles, okay? He goes down to Egypt and messes with Pharaoh's head. He, he, he messes with, with a bunch of people, Abraham does. Now, he's, he's good sometimes, okay? But he really, um, Abraham, and Abraham is the best in the entire story. It goes kind of downhill, from Abraham. And by the time you get to the nation of Israel, you know, maybe they're batting like, I don't know, 50 or something like that. They occasionally bring blessing to, uh, to the Gentiles and to the nations, but most of the time they are a desperately failed servant of the Lord to, through the seed of Abraham, the entire, all the Gentiles are going to be blessed. So part of what's going on here is exactly what you're seeing, Richard. It takes Jesus to come in and, and bring that plan, that great commission plan that God has in, that, in, in, in Genesis 12, 3, to fruition. Okay? Does that make sense? So, what, what, and so like, you know, um, when, when you're looking at this, and this is, what Isaiah, this is what God is prophesying through Isaiah. And by the way, again, the, the Jews for up through medieval period, uh, the, the Targum and everything views the suffering servant as the Messiah. And all of a sudden you get this pullback in the last thousand years, and it's like, no, 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 that's talking about the suffering Jewish people. And, and again, it's just on its face, it's obviously a flawed interpretation because how can the suffering, you know, Israelites restore Israel? It's just, it does not, the, the way, it's clear, clearly you're dealing with an individual. And again, that hooks all the way back to these promises the way that God is going to bring blessing through Abraham has to be fulfilled through a servant that actually does lay down his life for the Gentiles as opposed to trying to extract his own gain from the Gentiles most of the time, okay? And that's really what we're dealing with. And to be followers of Jesus, though, that's a challenge to us because we're going to need to be more like Jesus and less like kind of, I don't know, self-centered liars, you know, who say, no, she's not, she's not my wife. She's my sister. Go ahead and take her. Please, just please don't kill me. You know, so anyway, um, all right. Um, so that's, that's kind of the big, that's the big overview of what's going on with the whole Bible story. So um, let's go to Paul in Romans 4. Now, I could do more, Paul, obviously, but just, these are just kind of some highlight passages that I, that I put down here on your handout. Uh, for uh, picking up at verse 16. Well, well, actually, let's go back. I've, I've given you this one before, but this is just such a huge verse. Uh, uh, Romans 4.13, just picking it up at 4.13. For the promise to Abraham and his seed that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, by the way, since I've just talked about this per what Richard was asking about, Pick up what Paul has just done. He's just conflated and brought together the two levels of promise, okay? Because the, 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 first, the first command to go to the land I'm going to show you, and then you get a promise of nation, right? And by implication, the land, and, and God develops that. That's really just Israel. I mean, even, even the broadest interpretation, the most, like, 
extravagant promises of the land of Israel that go all the way to the Tigris and all this kind of stuff, that, um, that doesn't cover the whole world, does it? Would that cover like Africa? No. Does it cover the United States of America and Canada? Mexico? What do you think? No. Okay. But the blessing to all the nations covers the whole world. See what I'm saying? And, and what, what Paul says is once Jesus has come and, and what God was talking about to Abraham has been revealed, our central focus is no longer on geographical Israel. I mean, that's part of the story. And that's part of the first covenant promises that God makes with a particular people. But this is a lot bigger. So in other words, Abraham, what God is saying and what, what God is saying through Paul is the promise is actually that Abraham is going to be the heir of the entire world. Okay? And when Jesus rises from the dead, does Jesus say, go simply to Israel and a few surrounding territories? Is that what he said? No, he says, you know, the, to the ends of the earth are mine, right? Go and make disciples all the way. All, so, so, that's, so anyway, um, verse 14, for it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs. If it is adherents to the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and void. The promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. I've talked to you about that. I don't, I don't want to go back into that, but that's, that's a particular... Well, let me just explain this, just because if anybody listening didn't hear my explanation of this several times ago, remember, transgression is a technical term about transgressing the law of God, okay? That doesn't mean there's not sin and people aren't culpable, okay? In other words, just because some guy was a pagan, often never heard about the Torah, right, doesn't mean he's like, well, I get into heaven because, you know, I didn't know. <laughs> what, what the Bible elsewhere says, everybody knows basic, you know, standards of God, okay? But, so that's what he meant by there's no transgression of it, okay? Um, and then let's go on to the big verse, verses we want to get through here. Um, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. So here you have plural seed, okay, through the one seed, it goes out to everybody, everybody who believes, every single person who believes in God is a child of Abraham, not only to the adherent of the law, that is the faithful Jew, right, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so your seed will be. So this is saying that God's covenant promises to Abraham were real, and that everybody who believes in God through Jesus, the central seed, is brought into the family of Abraham, and therefore all the covenant promises, okay, extend to everybody who's a child of Abraham, including, by the way, any land promises, and including the bigger issue of inheriting the entire world, and including the really ultimate issue of when the new heaven and the new earth come, we're in. That's what Paul is talking about. I mean, you got to understand, Paul is not just, I mean, as, as a lot of times as Christians, we just kind of read this stuff as, okay, how can I make sure I'm like forgiven and won't go to hell and go to heaven? This is like a huge, this is a much bigger story here going on. And Paul is talking about all that. Y'all can see that now that we've been studying the covenants. He is, he is, he is in conversation um, with, with Genesis. Uh, with all the Old Testament and with Isaiah on this bigger picture that God is giving to Isaiah about the bigger story. It's too small a thing, right? As, as, as God says to his servant uh, through Isaiah, uh, that, that you would restore just Israel. I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna save the world through you, okay? You're, you're gonna bring light to the Gentiles. So, um, all right, so, so that's what's going on there. Uh, now, 
one more Paul passage just to show you how this is in live conversation. This issue is in live conversation. So y'all can see how I'm saying, actually, you can go back and read Isaiah 41.10 as belonging to you. You just need to understand how, how it gets there, okay? <laughs> you just need to understand how it gets there. It's not some vague, random, kind of pretty promise that God is making. It's coming through the covenant, and, and it comes through your being part of the covenant. Like, you, you don't just, it's not just an individual little promise. Okay, so um, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. This is right after, to give you your bearings on this, this is right after Paul has said, we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Okay? And God has prepared good works for you to do in advance because you're God's creation. Okay? And he's talking plural to everybody in the church. Okay? Then he goes on. Uh, Ephesians 2, 11 and following. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Excuse me. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, Paul just said a mouthful there, as you can see. Paul just said that when we Gentiles were apart from Christ, we were apart from God and we were apart from all the covenant promises. Okay, but you see he's going to go to the flip side of this coin. Once we're in Christ, we are in the commonwealth of Israel. You see what he's saying there, right? When, when we believe in Jesus, we are of the commonwealth of Israel. Uh, we were previously alienated. So let's, let's go on with what Paul is going to say here. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. Now you get this here. Yes, Christ brings us peace with God, but that is not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the wall of hostility between Gentile and Jew, right? By the separation of the law. And he's saying we're all one big family in the commonwealth of Israel once we have believed in Jesus and been baptized into Christ and brought in through the true central seed of Abraham. That's what he just said, okay? Um, uh, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. In other words, when we're saved, we're brought in as the people of God through Christ to have peace with God as a people together. It's not like, well, there's, there's the Jews over there and here's the Christians or here's the this or that or whatever. It's like everybody who is a, a child of faith, a child of Abraham, is brought in under the blood of Christ by the seed of Abraham, Jesus, and we're all one at peace with God and with one another. We're one body, okay? They're not different divisions, right? That's what Paul just said, okay? Um, and he, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. In other words, to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews. For through him, we both, in other words, both Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, when he says prophets, is he talking about New Testament prophets? What do you think he's talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament, y'all, okay? Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together 
grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we're one in Christ, okay? And it's all, all that language connects back to the covenants and back to Abraham and the promise of the seed. So um, let me pause there uh, just because sequentially, I want, and I should probably make sure I get to this anyway. We'll get back to Abraham, I promise you, in a, in a few minutes. Let me just say uh, that I went ahead and put this in here because this does seem to be um, an issue that we should be praying about about the understanding of who we are as human beings and about uh, religious liberty uh, in this country, okay? So um, those things, those two different big issues come together on, um, on the issue of the Equality Act. So, and the Equality Act is simply one, I, I, I guess, one weapon in a larger kind of arsenal that's going on right now, but it's a, it's a big weapon. Uh, so let's go back to Genesis 1, picking up at verse 26. We kind of went over this before, you know, when we were doing the introduction to the overview of the Old Testament. So, And you all know this, but let's take a look at what it says here so we all get the same understanding. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them and then he gives the creation mandate about being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth and subduing it okay um, how does God create us in God's image? In, in what manner are we told? Okay, so does that seem to be foundational, constitutional, and fundamental to who we are? Yes. Um, that, that is the most basic thing about who we are as people, as human beings. Okay? Um, do you see any confusion on the male and female there? Does there seem to be confusion on that issue? Okay. Um, all right, let's go over to uh, Genesis 5-2 just to remind you about this. Uh, Genesis 5, 1 and 2. It's kind of like, let's just regroup here, go through the generations, and in case you guys missed this, uh, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made them in the likeness of God. Verse 2, how did he make them? How did he create them? Anybody know? Male and female he created them. And he blessed them and named them man, and they were created. Okay. So, again, does there seem to be confusion on that issue? Is God, I've taught you a lot about Hebrew you know, poet, poetry and doubling, does God do a bunch of different words here? Or does it seem to be blunt and straightforward? Okay. Um, okay, so uh, let's go over to Jesus, just as one example passage in Matthew chapter 19. Sometimes you will hear the statement that Jesus never speaks on sexuality. Do you think that is true? Jesus is just nice and gives us some beatitudes to make us feel good about ourselves. Is that accurate? Is that an accurate portrayal of Jesus or the New Testament? What do you think? Um, okay, so this is one little example, but a really important one. Matthew 19, 3 through 5. Um, and Pharisees came up to him, that means to Jesus, and tested him by saying, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife? For any cause, for any and every cause. Um, he, this is a rabbinic debate thing going on right here and an issue under the, a Torah interpretation and Torah issues, okay? That's what's going on here. Let me just explain. It is beyond the pale of comprehension uh, that, that uh, Torah-observant Jews 
questioning even a guy that they consider to be revolutionary, that there would ever be any comprehension, that there would be any um, concept of same-gender sexual expression and practices that would be allowed under Torah. Okay, this is like beyond that. That is not what this question is about. This is about a heterosexual situation with male and female because it's just not, you know, that, that, that was not a live issue. But the point on this is in speaking on the divorce issue, Jesus is going to go, Jesus is going to say, great to go to Moses, but foundationally, let me tell you the way my father and I created you folks. And what he's going to say is at the core of who you are, the very constitution of human beings in the likeness of God, you are male and female. Okay? So this is his response. He answered them, have you not read that he created them from the beginning? Um, he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So what Jesus just did is Jesus just leapfrogged, okay, uh, from um, issues of interpretation uh, relating to the Mosaic law. And he's gone back and said, let me tell you the way before the fall, the way you're supposed to be. And he said, foundationally as human beings, the thing you need to understand, and this should govern everything about your relationships as far as you know, basic family is uh, male and female. Okay, and male and female, and there's supposed to be one union of one male and one female, and they become, uh, by the mandate of God, one flesh. So that's what Jesus says. Do you think Jesus, what do you think Jesus is saying? Uh, there, there was widespread homosexual practice in the pagan world, in the Roman world. Do you think Jesus is endorsing that in what he's saying here? Would you say he's saying quite the contrary? Now, that's not the issue that's being presented to him because none of these folks, I mean, first century Jews who read the Bible at all, this is not going to be a live issue. Do you think God permits this? No way, right? But, but the point is, on the anthropology, everybody get the point where we're male and female, right? And um, there's no indication in Genesis 1 or anywhere else in the Bible that same gender people are supposed to be going with same gender people. And what do you think about that if Adam said, I don't like the way you made me, God. I want to express myself differently. Do you think that was on the table in the Garden of Eden? Do you think that conversation was there? No. Okay. All right. So um, on, on that point, then, let me just um, read you this resource uh, we've got it posted for you now. We're going to post some other articles. If y'all want to just avail yourself of this. Um, this is not an attempt to be partisan political at all. Okay, I don't care who puts this act up. I don't care if it's, um, you know, Republicans, Democrats, Independents, Libertarians. I mean, you know, whoever. Um, I personally am going to oppose it because of what it stands for, what it's saying, and what it will do. Um, so the following uh, thing, as I said, is kind of a starting point. You could use it as a letter. You can go online and directly send things to um, uh, Senator Wicker or Senator Hyde-Smith. Um, and let me just say, I'm not concerned that they would actually vote for the Equality Act, although I guess we need to pray about that. But I, I, don't, I don't think that's a – just realistically, I don't think that's a live issue. The question kind of is, are they aware that people from their state are quite aware of what's going on with this thing? And and we need to be praying about it for the larger country. Anyway, um, I'm writing to you to express my strong opposition to the passage of the Equality Act and to ask you to take all proper actions to oppose uh, House Resolution 5 in the Senate. So what I'm asking is, before it even gets to a vote, whatever needs to be done that's appropriate, oppose it. Um, my reasons for opposing the act include the fact that it expressly prohibits appeal to the 1993 uh, RIFRA Religious Freedom Restoration Act, 
with regard to LGBTQ equality issues. What that means is the prior act of 1993 that carves out protections for uh, religious institutions, organizations, and individuals who say, I can't do this you know, under my conscience. I can't allow this um, in, in my business. We're a Christian school, we can't do this. Uh, we, we, we have standards for whom we hire or what is taught in this Christian school, okay? The RIFRUC provides a protective wall. Under the Equality Act, that is specifically stripped out on any issues involving LGBTQ issues. Okay, do y'all understand what I just said? This is like knocking, knocking down not just the door, but the wall here. Um, so the act therefore overrides RIFRA protections, threatens the basic principles of religious liberty reflected in the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, and would discriminatorily violate the fundamental religious liberties of countless faith-based individuals, families, organizations, healthcare providers, educators, and other professionals in our state and throughout the U.S. If the Senate joins the House in approving this act, um, and if President Biden, as he has promised to do, he is very supportive, President Biden is very supportive of this act now, uh, signs it into law, then the Equality Act will legalize unprecedented discrimination against faith-based citizens and organizations. For example, faith-based hospitals and insurers could be forced either to close their operations or to provide gender transition therapies that violate those organizations' religious principles. Children could seek gender reassignment medical procedures without prior parental knowledge or consent, and medical professionals could be forced against their professional and religious standards to facilitate such gender reassignments. That, that, those, that, there would be litigation over that, because if, if doctors fail to do that, uh, if under the Equality Act, they would be acting um, you know, illegally by, by refusing uh, the preteen or teens um, you know, seeking of new expression of himself or herself. Um, Faith-based adoption and foster care organizations would be forced either to lose their licenses and close operations or otherwise place children with same-sex couples or other LGBTQ individuals or family groups. We're going to start seeing larger family groups. I mean, the, the two-partner thing is going to be old school probably within the next number of years. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that. I mean, that's, that's, we're already seeing uh, the polyamorous uh, movement uh, throughout the country. Um, the act would dismantle same specific facilities, sports, and other spaces. As a result, biological females would be forced to compete with biological males. In other words, for instance, transgender females uh, who have the bone structure and the developmental structure of a male. And, and who just maybe even just started therapy lately. Um, uh, in all levels of competitions and with respect to athletic scholarships. And universities and colleges will be against, you know, out violating the law if they don't treat a, uh, a transgender athlete who's begun his, you know, hormone therapy and wants to go play ball, you know, um, you'd be in violation of the Equality Act if you discriminate against that person whether you want to call him a he, she, or a they, what you need to, under the new guidelines, you're supposed to call everybody a they. Um, Faith-based schools and businesses could be forced either to violate their beliefs and consciences regarding LGBTQ behavior or face fines, censure, litigation, and closure. Mosque, you need to remember, and we need to express this to our political leaders. This is not just about Christian churches now. Mosque, Synagogues, temples, you know, like Hindu temples, Buddhist temples. These are minority group folks now. Um, and churches would be forced either to cease any public use of their facility. Uh, in other words, to any kind of like, yes, you can have a celebration here. Yes, you, you may have a union here. Yes, you may have a wedding here. Um, in direct conflict with the church's faith and standards, equal use would have to be granted to LGBTQ groups and, you know, unions. Um, those are just some of the implications of this Equality Act. 
um, which, as I understand it, has the support of, you know, at least 50 senators and the vice president. Um, Yes, that's, that's what I understand. Uh, the, the only thing stopping this from passing is um, the filibuster. Actually, let me clarify. I'm not sure if Joe Manchin supports this or not. Does anybody know if Joe Manchin supports this? Biden just hired his wife. Biden just hired Manchin's wife? Did he really? <laughs> really? He said that uh, Joe Manchin's, I, I said to clarify my response to Jane there, I don't know if Joe Manchin is in support of this act. I believe Susan Collins, the Republican from Maine, is in support of this act. So I guess I could say at least 50 senators are in support of this act, possibly 51. Uh, the only issue is filibuster rules at this point. Um, Therefore, I ask you to take all appropriate actions to oppose the Equality Act. I will be praying for you as you respond on behalf of the people and future of our state and nation. If I can support your decision in any other ways, then please call upon me. Well, you can see that this um, act, uh, would you say it's in conflict with the biblical standards to which we've just turned? I mean, I'm not even talking about the whole Bible. I'm just talking about the basic foundational thing that Jesus seems to be referring to a lot. What do you think? Me, coming now, like, um, what, I had the words, but now I lost them. Sodom and, and Samara. Oh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Yes. Yes, Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. And, and I mean, and I'm just sitting here thinking, okay, do we all get blown up, so to speak? I mean, just using that as a word. Mm -hmm. Ah, uh, yes, that's an interesting question, isn't it? In other words, if the, if the judgment rains down. Um, yeah, that's a really good question. We should probably have a discussion on that. I'm not going to do that one tonight, but that is a good, we'll come back to that, Jim. That's an interesting discussion to have. Yes, um, do, do our, does, does our majority congressional leadership take us with them, so to speak, into the consequences? <laughs> <laughs> Richard says we're not going to let them hang on to our coattails when we get raptured out. <laughs> so, all right, let's let's move on. Uh, Y'all get the point. I, I didn't think there would be any debate in this group. Is there anybody on Zoom who wants to question or have any concerns about this? Uh, again, I don't care who's for this. By the way, there are Republicans that are in favor of this. There are Democrats in favor. I'm not talking about partisan stuff. I'm talking about this is, that this is a bigger issue. This, I've been talking about this in our men's thing on Tuesday morning. Larry, you know this. In my opinion, this deal is a, is the other things are just kind of like setups for this thing. This is one of the huge deals that you're facing right here. Okay? This is a fundamental radical change. Um, and, and my point is, it's not just this act. It's already being implemented in other ways through regulatory agencies and through other legislation and in various states. But this would make it the, the standard, the gold standard of our, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> of our nation. Okay. All right. So let's keep moving. Let's go back to Abraham. Um, remember, Ab his name is Avram which comes from Avrum, which means great father, okay? Av, in Hebrew and Semitic languages, means father. And Rum means like high, great, okay? Um, and remember, he's a pagan. He comes from pagan background. I, I won't go back over this again, but remember, I gave you this, and I've got it in the handout again from Joshua 24. You know, they, were, they worshiped idols. And remember, we got the whole Fertile Crescent going on. He comes from... Um, Southern Mesopotamia, like from where Babylon, you know, the region of Babylonia, okay? That's where he originally comes from, Ur of the Chaldeans, a big city. He's a big city, ancient big city boy. He goes up to Haran, and then God calls him, right? And uh, he's also, Avram is the first person who's referred to as a Hebrew, 
Ivri. And we get that in Genesis 14. We'll come back to that maybe in a minute, but let's let's go back to the basic covenant. Richard talked about this earlier, and I talked with Richard about it. Remember, the basic start-off point, it's the turning point, as I said last time, in the really in the old, it's one of the two or three main turning points in the Old Testament. And in some ways, it is the the big story. At Genesis 12, you get this huge pivot. After the Tower of Babel or Babylon, okay. And after that issue, and the city of man, we, we've spent a couple of sessions going over all that, so I'm not going to go back to that. But remember, after the city of man's glorification and the Tower of Babel to make a shim, a name for ourselves, right? Um, God's going to make a name for Abraham. Now, remember that you get this big ju- ju- juxtaposition. The people who build the Tower of Babel, right? They say they want to make a name for themselves, Right? Um, um, okay, so God says, Abraham, trust me. Your job is not to make a ma- name for yourself. I'm going to give you a name. Okay, I'm going to make your name great. Huge difference, okay? So he says, um, the first command is go, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. Again, I emphasized this last time. That is a huge command. Stakes are really high. When you leave your patriarchal family background behind, because that's your protection. That's your social security. The government doesn't give you your social security when you get old. Okay? And if you get attacked by people, your family has your back. Okay? The family unit is a big deal. And God says, leave the protection and the retirement assurances and the health assurances of your family and just go off somewhere that you don't even know where you're going to go. Trust me. <laughs> and so he says, go to the land that I will show you. So we got the land issue there at play. And then he, but he makes three promises. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. So you see with that command and with the three promises, are we talking about the Gentiles yet? No. I mean, to make you into a great nation, singular, okay? I will bless you and I will make your name great. But as Jesus obviously introduces, and as Paul, for instance, and the rest of the New Testament is picking up on, we actually come in under this too, okay? Because we end up being this nation, by extension, because we're people of faith. But uh, in the original, you know, layout here, and you see how I have it for you, then you get to be command. And you shall be a blessing. That is commandment language. The translations usually don't, like, tell you that, but that's command language. You're going to be a blessing. I'm telling you, you've got to be a blessing. That's his command. And then the three promises spinning off of that. And I will bless those who bless you. The one who curses you, I will curse. And then here's the great commission, right? You know, make, to make the first promise obvious. I will bless those who bless you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Um, did... Uh, did the Jews fulfill that before Jesus? Did Israel reach to the ends of the earth? And Who did that? Who made that possible? Jesus. Okay. Right. So uh, the Lord further specifically cuts his covenants uh, with and for Abram and his seed and family. God confirms and expands the promises uh, as the story of Abram moves forward. Genesis 15. Um, the Lord, um, you know, the Lord assures him, right, that his seed is going to be innumerable. And Abraham believes, and it's credited to him as righteousness. And then um, the Lord promises him. Uh, let's just, we'll go ahead and look at that because that is, that is a big deal. Um, if y'all can stay with me for a few extra minutes, I'll get through a little bit. Or are y'all okay with that? Um, 
Okay, let's, let's just go ahead and, uh, I, I do just want to hit this. I'm not going to try to exposit this very much, but, um, so, um, 15, um, 5, Genesis 15, 5, and he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said, so shall your seed, okay, Zerah, be. That's the thing that Paul is like, keeps repeating, right? Okay, y'all see that, right? Okay. Um, and remember, this seed language is always central to the covenants in the Old Testament. It's always a big deal. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Paul and Hebrews say this is the gospel in the Old Testament right here, Genesis 15, 6. Martin Luther dances around this verse. Okay? But then let's keep going. I've talked about that a lot to you guys before. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you. He's, go, he's reciting his story, right? I'm the one who brought you from the big city down in Babylonia, from Ur of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess. So he got a clarification. This land I'm showing you, just let me make it clear. I'm giving you to possess this land. Um, but he said, O oh Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said, so we've got the land covenant cutting exercise that we're about to get to, okay? Um, and he said, bring me a heifer three years old and a female goat three years old and a ram three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half and laid each over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. You don't do that. And then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses and Avram drove them away. So this is a long process. He's waiting on God. You got these dead animals cut in two. And in the covenant ritual, the parties are supposed to walk through. And if one is highly subject to the other, it might just be the one who's the vassal who walks through. And the implication is, so shall it be upon me and my seed. In other words, I get exterminated if I violate this covenant. That's the way it's supposed to work. Okay, let's see what happens here. As the son, so Avram's like waiting. Is he going to tell me to walk through? Is he going to come through with me? What's going on here? The sun going down, you know, he's driven off the birds of prey. A deep sleep fell on Avram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Avram, Know for certain that your seed will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted 400 years. What's God talking about there? Egypt, right? But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Does that happen at the Exodus? Yes. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. That's another story. I'm not going to go into that right now. Okay. Um, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Wait a minute. Did Avram walk through the sacrificial covenantal animals? Well, who went through? God went through. So, who's taking the, you know, the, the brunt of the covenant? God. Yeah. So, and by the way, what are we talking about? What happens on Good Friday? What happens on Good Friday? Did we all get crucified because we were so bad? What, what happens? Yeah. On that day, the Lord cut a covenant with Avram, saying, now see, he's already got a covenant relationship with him, but this is a specific cutting here. Uh, to your offspring, I will give this land from the river of Egypt. This is the broadest, this is like the broadest explication of the promised land now. Uh, to the great river, the Euphrates, and the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergeshites, and the Jebusites, all of them. Basically, the entire Levant, 
stretching down into Egypt and over into the beginning of Mesopotamia. Okay, it's a big swath of land. Um, now, uh, let's move on. I'm not going to go into all that. Genesis 17. Another. This is an everlasting covenant now. When Abram was 99 years old, uh, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me. By the way, in all these covenants, you, you like keep getting these new names. Like God keeps identifying himself with all these variations of who he is, okay? Um, walk before me and be blameless. Now, notice. Remember how in 15, all Avram had to do was believe, right? Now he's being called to be righteous and holy in a walk with God. Y'all catch the difference there. It's, it's, it's complex here, okay? 17 is a different conversation. Walk before me and be blameless. He's got a command there. You see that? It's not like he went to sleep and God's carrying everything out <laughs> after he believes. In this case, he's got to walk before me and be blameless. Um, you get that in the Old Testament. There are various people, right? Um, you know, Enoch. Noah, when he's on his high point, you know, um, and that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Now, you know, does Avram say here, well, you've already made the covenant with me, God, and, you know, you, you pretty much did everything. No, because Avram has sense enough to know he's talking about a different layer or chapter of this covenant here, okay? Um, fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of a multitude of nations. Okay, do y'all understand what I was saying earlier? We have now hit part two, Genesis, the end of 12, 2, going into 3. Do y'all track with me here? Okay? We've just moved, when we move from 15 to 17, to the expansion off of the second command, back in 12, and into the promises that roll out of that, okay? Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Avram. We could have just had Avram with part one, right? With 12, 1 through 2a. But when we get to 2b, into, into excuse me, 12, 2b, into 12, 3 of Genesis, we got to call him Avraham, uh, your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Is he just the father of Israel? No. A bunch of other people are going to be brought in. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. You know, he's already promised to make him fruitful, right? Just like Adam is supposed to be fruitful. I'm going to make you exceedingly fruitful. It's going to be amazing. You know, one man, there's no way, okay? Um, and I will make you into nations, plural. And kings shall come from you. And I will my st establish my covenant between me and you and your seed after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, a breed alam. Okay? This is a higher level covenant we're dealing with here. When Jesus comes, is Jesus just messing around with part one? No, Jesus is opening up part two here. Okay? This is what Isaiah is talking about too to be God to you and your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And uh, God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout the generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your seed, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Okay? And then, and then we move on to Isaac. 
Um, so you see the little chart with the promises, um, with the um, land, seed, and blessing here, and the development. And you see that this blessing language really opens us up to the Gentiles and to what's going to be called the new covenant. Because the only way Israel is going to be able to walk blamelessly before the Lord is for the Lord to change their hearts. And that becomes very evident. And so you get this opening up in Isaiah, and it gets carried on as a big theme in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel. Okay, The only way Abraham is going to walk blamelessly before the Lord is if the Lord does something big within us and within Israel. Okay? Um, and then, um, yeah, so then you got 22 also. Um, this is when Abraham, you know, obediently is prepared to offer the, the promise that he's finally received, Isaac, as a sacrifice. Okay? And um, 22.15, uh, Genesis 22.15. Uh, you, you remember the Lord provides it. The Lord said the Lord will provide, and he, he gives a ram. Remember this, in place of Isaac. And then just picking up at fifteen, and the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, "By myself I have sworn," declares the Lord, "because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is in the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies, and in your offspring." All the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So we keep, as this story goes on, we are circling more and more, right? Increasingly, we're still talking about the land and stuff like that and a nation, a specific nation, but we keep circling around more and more to this big picture stuff about all the nations. And there's going to be no barriers to your, the extension of your um, you know, impact. Um, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned with his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Okay, uh, so that's that. That's 22. That's Abraham. Now, um, I want to... Okay, and, and these things get reaffirmed, by the way. Specifically, God, you know, God, you've got to be in a relationship with God. You don't just, you know, get this. Um, by osmosis or something like that. So God reaffirms the covenant with Isaac and with Jacob and names Jacob Israel, you know, as you can see in Genesis 35, right? Um, let me just go ahead and introduce this just, uh, just a little bit more, okay? Back in the Abraham story, we get this other theme that opens us up to David because I want to start moving in the direction of David <laughs> um, from Abraham, okay? And, and, and what happens is... Uh, you remember I talked last time about Lot being bad, and, you know, it's not just that he chooses the better area. He ends up gravitating, he and his wife, to actually move into Sodom. Remember this? And it's not just that they move kind of in the direction of Sodom. They move into Sodom, okay? And, you know, that, that ends up being a really bad situation. And the kings from the east, when these rich city, cities and kings of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, and the other three, they rebel against the big-time kings from the east, okay? And the kings from the east, so they stop paying taxes and tribute to the big-time kings from the east. And so the big-time kings from the east come over and spank Sodom and Gomorrah and the other three, you know, rich cities that are down in, remember, it's not a dead sea now. This is like a, a really rich, lush place, where they are then. But the kings from the east, in other words, from like Babylon and stuff like that, they come over and spank um, Sodom and Gomorrah and the other three, okay? And they carry off booty and they carry off prisoners. And one of the prisoners, or some of the prisoners they carry off are Lot and his family. And remember the way we said, like, if, if you mess with my kin, it's a fight with me, right? And Abraham operates that way Okay, and remember we talked about. I talked about this last time. Was was Abraham even supposed to take Lot with him in the first place? No. <laughs> yeah, and, and by the way, like if Abraham gets himself killed, because remember we don't even have Isaac at this point. Okay, if Abraham gets himself killed fighting these kings, is that going to be good? Good game plan? 
No. But nevertheless, we find out Abraham is a bad dude, and he's a substantial dude. He's not a king, but he's like a, um, he's like a sheikh, okay? Uh, and he has 318 um, serious guerrilla warriors, okay? And uh, he and his 318, they track down, and presumably, it's not like the, the, they don't fight them like the, you know, redcoats wanted to fight in the American Revolution, right? They, presumably, this is a tactical, I mean, they split up, they do all this kind of stuff, and uh, they, but they, they take, they defeat this massive, or part of this massive army, and rescue Lot, and bring back all this stuff uh, that was taken from um, Sodom and the other little city kingdoms. And then we get to this, this is huge in the Old Testament. This, this thing turns out to be as big as the entire Abraham story in uh, 1417. After his return from the defeat of Keterlaomor, that's the head dude of the four kings, okay, uh, and the kings who were with him, in other words, after Abraham did this, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva. That is the king's valley. Now, this is right outside of Jerusalem. And the writer is, yeah, that parenthetical is telling you that, okay? And Melchizedek, now remember, his name means um, my king is righteous or righteousness, okay? Um, the king of Salem, which means peace, okay? So he's the king of peace. And um, also Salem is like a proto-name for Yerushalayim, okay? Yerushalayim for Jerusalem, okay? So this guy is the priest and king. Notice he's a priest and a king, okay? Um, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God, El Elyon, God Most High. And he blessed Abraham. So y'all have to get this picture. You have two competing kings. The king of worldliness, the king of Sodom. Remember the city of man's glory versus the city of God? You got the king of, you know, wealth versus the king of righteousness, okay? And the king of peace, right? And uh, which one is Abraham going to pay attention to? Well, he pays attention to Melchizedek. Uh, Melchizedek blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So did Abraham win the victory, really? No, God did it for him, right? And Melchizedek knows that. And Abram gave him a tenth. He paid him a tithe, okay, of everything. Is that what you're supposed to do when you're a person of faith? Yes, okay. Uh, and he pays it to this guy that he doesn't even know. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. So he's trying to cut a deal. So it's really this, it's one of the, the most incredible scenes in the entire Old Testament. You have these two kings who are trying to talk to Abraham, right? And you've had Melchizedek do this like communion service with him. And he's paid a tithe to Melchizedek, right? And then you got the king of Sodom saying, um, hey, let's split up. You, you got a lot of stuff. Let's split it up. We can both be rich. I'll make you rich. But see, if Abraham takes anything, if Avram takes anything from the king of Sodom, he's obligated to the king of Sodom, right? So he didn't take a thing. Um, but Avram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I should not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I've made Avram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eskol, and Mamre take their share. So in other words, he's going to let these guys who are in coalition with him, if they want stuff from Sodom, they can take it, but he's not going to take a thing. I'll get to this next week. We'll come back to this story. But the point is, this story of Melchizedek is going to run through David to Jesus. We'll talk about that next time.
Okay. Um, and so when, but just, I, I kind of wanted to get to here just to say, when Jesus shows up for Holy Week, he's both the king and the priest. He's the priest in the order of Melchizedek. We'll go into that more next time, okay, if we have time. But he's also, um, he's also the king. And there's this thing with David where David acts like a priest and God doesn't reprimand him about it, Okay. Because we've already got, and, and David prophesies about the Melchizedek thing. So we'll, we'll, we'll get to that um, next time. But anyway, the point is, since we're about to get to um, Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday and everything, it's important to know all these things are coming together with Jesus. Okay? Isn't that cool? All right, let, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time and for our opportunity to gather in your name. And be with us, Lord, as we continue to move through Holy Week to fix our eyes on you and to learn and grow and rejoice in you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thanks for being with us.